Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Constance Wu on her new series, Solos, and her comfort movie, Boogie Nights. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz, and as you can hear, the voice has been better, the sound quality has been better, but I'm alive, I'm well, and the podcast continues. <laughs> I, I feel fine, guys, but as you can hear from my voice, um, I've been busy the last few days with the MTV Movie and TV Awards. I'm in Los Angeles, and it's taken a toll on uh, the vocal cords. I feel better than I sound, trust me. Um, and I also, of course, because I'm good that way, I didn't bring my recording equipment with me to LA. So this maybe isn't uh, the intro that's gonna win the awards for best sounding intro to a Happy, Sad, Confused episode, but damn it, here I am nonetheless. <laughs> and there's a lot to talk about. So the main event today is Constance Wu. You're gonna hear a great conversation with me and Constance about her new series, uh, it's an anthology series on Amazon Prime called Solos, and it's a kind of a unique concept. It's a little bit um, of a showcase kind of thing for different actors, ranging from Morgan Freeman and Dan Stevens and Anne Hathaway and, yes, Constance. Each one kind of has their own episode um, telling unique stories that sometimes are uh, crossing over with each other, sometimes aren't. And Constance, of course, delivers a fantastic performance. Um, Solo's debuts on May 21st on Amazon Prime. You guys should check it out. And of course, this conversation is a wide-ranging chat about her whole career from her passion for acting throughout her life, and she lives for this stuff, as you'll be able to tell from the conversation, to her uh, amazing run of, um, you know, stand-up performances in Crazy Rich Asians and Fresh Off the Boat, um, Hustlers. She has been killing it lately, so it was a real pleasure to get to know Constance a little bit more in this conversation and also talk about her comfort movie, PTA's great movie, Boogie Nights. I'm always a sucker for PTA. So, you know, she won points in my book for choosing Boogie Nights as her comfort movie. So that's the main event today. Um, a couple other things I do want to mention. As I said, I'm in LA still. I just um, did all my shenanigans for the MTV Movie and TV Awards, which was a blast. Um, if you guys haven't checked it out, um, check out my Instagram, Joshua Horowitz, or my Twitter feed, Joshua Horowitz, and I'm posting tons of photos and interviews that I did there. Um, and it was a real unique experience in that it was kind of a very familiar experience it was from the before times. <laughs> there were um, a lot of people that I knew, a lot of people that I was able to see in person for the first time in a good year and a half. Like I haven't, I had not done anything like this since before the pandemic and nor had most of the folks there. Um, but it was so, it was weird at first, um, certainly. Like it felt a little bit surreal, but I certainly felt like I got back into my groove pretty quickly. And by the end of the night, I was just having a blast. It started on the red carpet where I was hosting um, MTV's coverage uh, for their kind of like teaser hits leading into the main show. And that was a blast. That was stuff like, that was live um, stuff from, from the carpet, which is always exciting. Um, talking to Wesley Jones and the cast of Outer Banks and uh, Seam Padrad, um, and just catching up with a bunch of folks. Then I went backstage um, for the actual show where I see none of the show. <laughs> I could not see one minute of the show, but I did get to a chance to catch up with everybody as they came off the stage and won or presented. So that meant I got the chance to 
spend uh, some quality time with Anthony Mackie and Elizabeth Olsen and, and Catherine Hahn and the cast of Outer Banks and, um, I mean, uh, God, so many more. Uh, Henry Golding, who presented the first clip from uh, Snake Eyes, um, on and on and on. And um, like I said, it was really, like, surreal in a great way, but also very comforting. And um, And I'm just, you know, I'm so grateful and excited that we could have these kind of conversations and, you know, me and, and, and my guests weren't, weren't wearing masks. We were kind of trying to keep our distance a little bit, trying to still adhere to the safety um, uh, parameters, but, you know, we were tested, et cetera. And it's, we're in that kind of transitional period, right? Where I think we're getting much closer to quote unquote normal-ish life. And this felt like a big, big step, certainly for me personally. Um, and just seeing like, that an award show can kind of in all its silliness, go back to the before times and be somewhat normal. So I'm kind of exhausted in a good way. As you hear, the voice has been better, but um, I'm just so thrilled. I'm thrilled MTV had me back for yet another year. I'm thrilled that, um, you know, we all came out the other side of this horrific last year and a half, um, you know, and uh, we'd all been through a lot, but I think we're all more more and more grateful than ever that... Um, we got a chance to see each other in person and have these kinds of silly fun chats about movies and TV that we love. So as I said, all that stuff is on MTV News' YouTube page on my social media feeds. Um, check it out. That was the MTV Movie and TV Awards. Also worth mentioning, we have a new episode of Game Night Up. Happy, Sad, Confused Game Night is up on the Happy, Sad, Confused Patreon page. If you have not checked it out, Go to patreon.com slash happy, sad, confused. The new Game Night episode features some of my favorite folks. It features Jane Levy, Skylar Aston, and Max Minghella. Jane and Skylar, of course, starring in Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Max currently starring in Handmaid's Tale and the new film Spiral, the new Saw sequel. Um, this was another blast. 40 minutes plus of silly games and conversation. Uh, some tequila was, was, was had, and uh, we, had a, we had a good time, and I hope you guys enjoy that second episode of Game Night over on the Patreon page. Um, and yes, some more exciting guests to come, but um, I'm really digging it. I hope you guys are as well. Again, go over to patreon.com slash happysadconfused to enjoy me being super silly with some of my favorite people on Happy, Sad, Confused Game Night. Okay, I'm going to give the voice a rest. Um, and let you hear me in better vocal times with the uh, very talented Constance Wu starring in her new series, uh, Solos, on Amazon Prime. Check it out on May 21st. Here's me and Constance. Hey, Constance, how's it going? Good, how are you? You're fueled up on LaCroix, I see. I've got my Coke Zero here. We, we're, we're just doing what we have to to keep we alive. We have the beverages. We must podcast. We must podcast. Um, <laughs> I always feel weird. It's like, yeah, welcome to the podcast. In these times, it's like, welcome to the Zoom being turned on. Turn, let's have a chat. Yeah. Um, but I, I do appreciate the time today. I know, um, you know, I'm sure you've been talking your head off and um, there's a lot to talk about. We've never had this kind of long form conversation before. So um, let's get right to it. Let's start with where you're at, if we could. Are you are you literally right now uh, Chris Pratting in the world? Are you terminal listing? Yes. <laughs> I like to, I like to turn I everything into a terminal listing yeah. with Chris Pratt 
and uh, having a wonderful time. And uh, yeah, it's been really fun. Loved working with Antoine. Um, I love, you know, as you can see from solos, I like playing roles that are different than things I've done before. So, you know, I did a suburban mom, immigrant mom. I did a stripper. I did a rom-com heroine. I did Jenny. And now I'm doing a rogue war correspondent. I mean, you're just knocking them off the list. It's, it's so fun. I love it. I love stretching my, you know, limits. It's like the best thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I mean, Fuqua, like, I mean, like a muscular sort of director. I mean, this is like a testosterone cast. You got Kitchen there. I don't know if you're a Friday Night Lights fan. I actually don't have any scenes with him. So um, unfortunately, I don't really get to work with him. Really, my scenes are just mostly with uh, Chris. But um, yeah, Fuqua, yeah, I can see why you say he's like a muscle guy, but he also really has a very strong sense of dignity about him. Um, and just a lot of depth and compassion that I really connected to when I spoke yeah. to him before uh, taking on the job. And um, yeah, I really feel like he's a real good actor's director. Well, clearly he's, he's, he's directed a few to some notable, notable wins uh, over the years. Right? Yeah. Um, but I mean, I'm curious, I mean, that brings up, I mean, between Terminalist, which you're shooting now, solos and, and just sort of the, the recent spate of, of diverse kind of performances that you've given and the, yeah. the breadth of the roles that you've been in, right? Um, it's, it's kind of fascinating to me because, you know, we spoke, I think the last time for Hustlers, which came right off of Crazy Rich Asians, which came right off the end of your show. So like you've had, fair to say, a pretty good few years, a nice run. And I would imagine um, more choice than ever in a career. And I'm always fascinated. I always have this conversation with actors like in that transition period where you go from like taking anything you can get because that's the reality of an actor for 99% of actors mm -hmm. to the luxury of choice. Um, and is that something that's been fun or, or, or overwhelming, intimidating as you kind of start to steer your own ship for the first time in the last few years? It's something I think that has been very grounding because I think when you have the privilege of choice, um, you have to, I think, determine what matters to you and then base your choices off of that. So while, you know, somebody might care about like visibility or, or fame or, or access or any of these type of things and might choose roles based on that, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, sure. that's your sort of MO, but I think it really gives you an opportunity to reflect and it's like, oh, what kind of life do I want to live? What like, what are my values? And okay, now that I've determined my values, what are my choices going to be that are in line with that? And then there are always people are going to be like, yeah, but even though those are your values, you should ought to do this because <laughs> XYZ equals that, that, that. And that's, that's sort of, those are the voices you follow when you don't have the privilege of choice. Right. Um, some people still continue to follow them even after, even when they have the privilege of choice because they haven't taken time to sort of sit down and be like, okay, what really matters to me? 
Um, well, in some ways, it's it's right. It's the easier path to just rely on folks that you know know the business. Be like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to trust in that. And that there, like, as you said, there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. But you know, to take ownership over your own life and career and and decide what story you want to tell yeah. with the career you carve out is a and, yeah. And also, but you know, in another sense, like. Act, being an actor has always been very much my identity. Like even if I wasn't making a living off of it, I'd still, I still go to acting classes every week. Like I still read plays and see all the theater I can get. This is who I am. So I'm very defined by that. But people who decide that they want to, uh, you know, do whatever their agent does or throws at them, their values might lie in a different area of their life. Like they might be like, oh, really? I just want to do things that facilitate like my family life. And so those are my values. So I'm making choices based off of that. And as a new mother, like I'm starting to understand that. That's I've never thought that there was anything I could love more than acting truly, because it's like, it is the very depths of my soul. Like I've, right. I've loved it since I was a child and I, I find new things every day about it. I love. Um, but then I had a child and, um, you know what? I love her more. <laughs> this is so, probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think she'll be glad to know that. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad we have this on tape for when she comes. <laughs> we'll know. But it's yeah. I mean, yeah. But that, what, 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 what fun about being alive is that your values change and that like, right. you get to change with the things in your life that happen. Um, what so. about the, the notion that, because it sounds like from hearing conversations you've had before, like like many great artists, and I think the greatest ones are tough on themselves, right? They like, they hold themselves to a high standard. Mm -hmm. um, as you've achieved more commercial success and critical success, do the voices in your head get quieter? <laughs> does, does success equal, has success in the last five, six years, especially, um, Given you more peace and confidence, or are they just are there just new demons to deal with and wrestle? With? I think there is just more context, which mm -hmm. I think because uh, sometimes I think when you're younger and you're really hard on yourself, you're like, "This will make or break me." Right. And like when you get older, you realize that like this is actually just all part of the process, and. You know, the most dangerous thing you could be at is like, if you think like, oh my God, I did it. I'm great. Everything's awesome. <laughs> because <laughs> then you've stopped evolving. And when you've right. become stopped evolving, then you're kind of not alive, right? You're, then everything's static. So I think having more context makes you understand that uh, not everything hinges on one thing and that gives you a lot of freedom to play and it kind of makes it more fun and it makes it you less hard on yourself when something didn't work because you're just sort of like ah, well I guess that's part of I guess I needed to do that to know that that didn't work right now I know um, yeah, <laughs> I like the hardest, you the hardest things that happen to you in your life are like when you look back you're like wow that was a really good learning moment yeah that was um that really got me back to understanding who I am and who I want to be. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I'm still hard, quote unquote, hard on myself in that like integrity matters to me and I'm always sort of chasing it, integrity in my characters. Um, but I'm not hard on myself in terms of if something 
didn't work, I don't see it as a failure. I sort of see it as like, oh, yeah, that's part of me sticking through to my integrity is trying to figure out what uh, what works and what doesn't and how cool that you tried something that you weren't sure was going to work and how cool that you found out. That's well, fun. You know, you have to think of it as fun. I think it's real fun. I'm happy to say Solos uh, does succeed. It's a great performance. And it's, it's such, I mean, I can imagine for all the actors involved in this anthology series on Amazon Prime, um, what the appeal is, because um, there's a lot to chew on for, for all of you guys. And like, you know, this is, I would think it, I, I mean, it reminds you of, of some work in the theater. I mean, these kind of performances, this kind of like opportunity to really dig into a character and these kind of like extended monologues, et cetera doesn't come very often on camera. Um, oh, and there are some great things, you know, in theater you see it. Like I remember seeing performance of the Syringa Tree or like Belfast Blues, uh, like those kind of like Fleabag. I saw, I saw Phoebe Waller-Bridge do the stage version, which is not, you know, the TV show. Like that kind of stuff is so fucking fun and cool. I like uh, I get real psyched by that. But yeah, you don't, the last time I saw something like this on television was probably Nightingale. Uh, on HBO. Oh right, right. Over a decade ago, I fucking loved Nightingale. Yeah, that was like what David Oyelowo. Do I remember that? Yeah, one? yeah, yeah, it was yeah, yeah. So dope, and his performance <laughs> was so good. Like I'm such an acting dweeb that when I see a good performance, I like get like super fucking pumped. Oh, I'm, I'm with like, you. Yeah, a like, thousand percent. They, they did it. They, yeah, that guy, he fucking did it, and he went there, and that's how it was was with Nightingale. And so I feel like the last time I saw that. Uh, was Nightingale. And so to see Jenny's, um, Jenny, my episode, Jenny, yeah. her experience and to have such a dynamic arc, so fun. Also as an actor, full of a lot of actor traps where you could get real actory. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really fun to see how you've grown as an actor. Cause I just think like, oh man, if I had played Jenny when I was like a freshman in my acting conservatory, oh, Oh, that's fun. That's fun to think of. Okay, give me, give me one acting trap that you that in your wise age now you know to avoid when playing Jenny. Uh, yeah, I think making it about yourself and your performance being good, like patting yourself back, like oh, I did the thing, rather than oh, actually, this is about a person that's not me. It's not right. about you. It's not about what you can do. Like you and and the way around those traps that I've learned. And continue to learn because I still fall into them sometimes. Um, is uh, you really just have to give your heart and your ego and your soul over to the character without any prescribed ideas of how it's going to go or how it should turn out, and you have to just have faith um, that it will move through you as long as you're sort of, um, you know, really sticking to your integrity, uh, your personal integrity of what it means to to represent somebody else's story. Um, yeah, that's an act that, that's, that's a huge actor trap. It's one that like, I think I'll have to fall in, I'll fall into and out of for the rest <laughs> of my life. And that's fun. It's like, ooh, that old bitch, she got me again, that ego. <laughs> and I'm well, like, her, <laughs> but she's back. She's still alive and well, <laughs> she snuck back in there. And then, <laughs> and, and then you're like, oh shit. Oh, that's fun. I gotta, I got, I gotta go back and like get real humble again. Um, and what, it's, oh, I mean, it's fun. Yeah. Well, what about the fact that I mean, obviously, 
there's some pros and cons to this, the nature of this kind of performance and, and this production. You do, you're, you're staring down the barrel for 90% of this. You're like, you're, your co-star is, is us in a way. Like, who are you imagining is your scene partner? Because you're robbed of that. You're not looking into the eyes yeah. of a fellow actor, I would imagine. Yes, and, that's another trap, right? Yeah. It, because I'm doing everything to camera, um, to not have specificity in who you and who you're talking to, that is a, a, a big trap. And for me, so, so I sort of broke down the scripts. And like I stayed very true to the text. I didn't improvise. And I sort of broke it down into chunks. And in each different chunk, I'm talking sort of to a different person. Generally, I'm talking to a person in a waiting room, right? Quote, right, in a waiting right. room. But um, the way I reconcile that is kind of a, kind of like, because Jenny starts the monologue um, super fucking drunk, right? Right. So I kind of reconciled it in the way it is in a dream, how like you in a dream, you might be speaking to your piano teacher and suddenly your piano teacher morphs into your dog. And then your dog morphs into your dentist and right. that morphs into your mother. And in the dream, it's seamless. You don't question it. It's just right. like, oh, I'm talking to my sister. Oh wait, now my sister's my dentist or whatever. Right. Um, right. And it just is seamless. And so that's sort of that dream state of who you're speaking to and how it changes sort of married with her drunkenness and her trying to figure out on a micro sense, she's trying to figure out where she is and how she got there. Like, did I walk here? Did I take a cab? But in a macro sense, she's also trying to figure out like, who am I? What were my dreams? And how did I become who I am today? Uh, which is why the writing is really great because I think they, the writer, Becca, she really approached it in both senses. Right. The, I'm curious, always curious, like when in something like this without kind of ruining specifics, um, you, go, you go through an emotional, you know, run the emotional gamut. Uh, it's fair to say at a certain point, like, there are tears, it gets, you know, you, 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 you kind of like go through it, right? Or is that in the script, like specifically like Jenny is blubbering by now, she's like losing it. Or is that a choice you're making on paper or is that a choice you're making in the moment? Just, you know, I guess how like, how much specificity is there about physicality of that? Uh, you know, it depends on the script. Some scripts um, put in like character weeps here. <laughs> I, don't, I don't exactly remember whether or not the script had it because me and my acting coach, th those are what we call appointments in a script, like an appointment to cry, an appointment to scream. <laughs> I scratch them all off. Okay. Uh, and usually when the writing is good, which this was, they happen anyway, right? So if yeah. I was supposed to burst into tears at a certain point, I'm sure I, it was in the script and I did it, but I didn't do it because it was in the script, right? right? Because anytime you prescribe what you're gonna do, it's fucking out the window, man. And then yeah. you're then you're two steps ahead of yourself. And if you're two steps ahead of yourself, you're not in the moment. And if you're not in the moment, then you're not alive. And then your performance just sucks, right? So it might have been there. It probably was there in some certain parts. I mean, I think it's pretty apparent from the dialogue, from the text, which I did stay true to. What when she's breaking down and when yeah. she's not? Yeah. And language has a big effect on me. So sometimes even saying a sentence, if it's written in a certain way, it just, it happens to you. You don't, you don't hit that appointment. You don't say, I, you know, there are definitely sometimes where 
or directors like, oh, I need you to do this there. And it's, yeah, is that tough? Is a it... lot of, yeah, that's hard, you know, and it's when that happens, when I was a younger actor, I just wouldn't be able to do it, honestly. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to reach it because I would have so much anxiety about getting there when the time came. Right. And it took me a lot of, like I said, trial and error and seeing what works and how your instrument works uh, to sort of, when I get a direction like that, to translate it into my own head in a way that is playable, that won't make me lean into prescribed appointments. That yep. sounds so technical, but no, I, I get well. It's about avoiding the technical stuff. It sounds like it's about kind of like yeah, not yeah, yeah. Technical I mean, in your yeah brain. Sometimes you have to do mental jujitsu in your yep. mind to sort of get when somebody is trying to make you hit the appointment mental stuff. You have to translate it in a way that's workable for you. And the fun thing is because we're all different people, different things work for different people. So that's why I still go to acting class every week because it's fun to figure out the things that work for you. It's fun the older you get that you find new things about yourself and the way your instrument works. Um, but yeah, as far as the things that happened to me in the more emotional parts of that episode, uh, I didn't draw off personal experience because I've never tried to do what Jenny was trying to do um, and or failed <laughs> at it. And um, is really, again, like I keep saying, empathy and imagination and yeah. just opening yourself up to the possibility and having faith that she'll come through you. And, and she did. You, you mentioned, and it's clear in, in hearing you talk that like this has been in your bones, acting has been in your bones, like from you, you being a kid, like pretty, yeah. pretty early on. Um, at its best on a set, does it feel analogous? Is, is, does it feel like play that recalls the early memories of just sort of goofing around um, in theater or community theater or whatever? <laughs> My baby's like crying. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, <laughs> she's laughing. It's so funny when she's Is laughing. she laughing at my question? How dare she? Yes. Yes. She can hear all the way from upstairs. She's like, that in your door. What a question. I don't blame her. Uh, uh, sorry, what was the question? No, that's okay. It's okay. You've got a lot going on there. Um, I guess I'm trying to, to connect like the good moments on a set, whether it's in solos or, or any place where you feel free. Does, does it connect back to your earliest memories of acting, of when it was truly play for you as a kid? Yeah. You know, when I was a real kid, like when I was really first starting, the thing I actually connected to in acting was community. Because I did, I literally did community theater. Right. And it was just this feeling of like, I don't know, theater people can be kind of weird. And when you grow up in like the waspy South, weird isn't always celebrated, but in the theater, weird is celebrated. The weirdos go to theater and we're like, yeah, that's cool thing about you. The thing yeah. that's different. <laughs> and like, we can- Freaks are welcome theater. here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, nobody's going to roll their eyes at you for screaming musical theater songs and think that they're too cool <laughs> for school. No, because in theater, we do things with all our heart. And so just sort of like yeah. that, the, uh, the feeling of community is something that- uh, I do miss a lot, honestly. I don't find that a lot on, as much on film and TV sets because it's more departmental. Yep. Um, and, uh, but it's like, it's a different, I mean, uh, theater acting and then like film acting, it relies on sort of like your same essence, but it's, 
I don't know. It's weird. It's like a different, it's like you have a different set of tools and it's like one kind of tool you can make like a cool sculpture and the other type or kind of tool you can make like, like a piano. <laughs> I don't know. It's just like, yeah, I don't think yeah. one's better than the other. It's just like, you get to play with different tools. Like I think film and TV acting is a lot about thought and the, the, the character thoughts that are going on. And I think um, theater acting is a lot about the uh, the resonance of language and character. And I love all of those things. And so getting to, to, to work with different tools and different mediums is, is again, is honestly, it's just more fun than anything. You, uh, you moved to my neck of the woods, New York, uh, where I am today, uh, what, about 16 years old? Is that, do I have that right? Oh, I didn't move there when I was 16 year old. I, I went to a summer program at Lee Strasberg Theater Institute when I was 16. Uh, then I went back home, finished high school. And then I came back to New York, upstate New York, went to drama school there. And then I graduated from drama school. And then I went on every backstage equity course <laughs> call, all that kind of regional theater stuff. Couldn't get arrested in New York for like nine years. Um, I mean, I did some stuff. And, and then I moved to LA and started doing film and TV. And once I started doing film and TV, then the theater offers came in. So of course, that's the way it I, is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I like, <laughs> and I'm looking forward to capitalizing on that uh, post pandemic. I, I was going to do something like. You were going to do some theater here? Yeah. Yeah. But then the pandemic hit and like, who knows the state of theater now? Yeah. Like, what's going to happen? So, but I do hope to get back to it because uh, it's home for me. It's like, like when I, like I even go back and I do staged readings sometimes just kind of for the fucking fun of it. And like, yeah. even like the discussions we have after those staged readings, like they just fill me with like, I just feel like, oh, my people. Like, no, it's, it's, yeah. it's honestly very refreshing to hear this kind of conversation because I've talked to actors of all different stripes and like, it's so like seeps out of you that like, you know, everything you're saying, that fact that you go to acting class, which is yes, to keep yourself, yourself sharp, but it sounds like it's just also because you like to act. It's as simple as that. You like to be in oh, it yeah. with other actors and mixing it up and talking about this stuff and Love like, it. just own it. Like some other actors like, like are yeah. apologizing for what they are. It's like, it's a silly profession, but there are a lot of silly professions. Just be what you are, embrace your freak flag. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I understand why people make fun of it because when you become self-important about it, I think when you become self-important about anything, it's kind of like then when ego starts to take precedence over craft, right? And, uh, but when you, I always go back to, that's why I keep saying it's so fucking fun because it's not about being better than anybody. It's not about, being self-important it's just about what brings you joy and yeah. it's fucking fun to me so that's why i dweeb out on it just because of the fun <laughs> of it uh speaking about uh, dweebing out in the last year when we've been looking for comfort i've been asking folks to select some of their favorite comfort movies a movie that i got from you is our second paul thomas anderson selection yeah. would you like to uh, reveal your selection for a favorite comfort movie and why you went there Boogie Nights, baby. Oh my God, love it. Um, I mean, it's my number one favorite movie of all time. I love everything about it. Um, the thing that I, obviously, because I'm an actor, the thing I look for most in a movie is good acting. And like the performances in that are so, so good. Every character, right? And, and it's interesting because 
there's this trend that happens these days, I think that, uh, I think my shrink called it, like she said, like, we can be dumb because we're smart, which is kind of like, like when you're above a certain character, when you're out, when you're in a higher socioeconomic class, you're in a higher educational class and you choose to play sort of the lower, mm -hmm. what's perceived as the lower class, but you do it almost with irony, like as if it's fun, how fun we can be these people. Yeah. Um, I think it's very easy to fall into that. I think I've probably done that before um, because it's, it's, it's hard. Um, and I think Boogie Nights doesn't do that. Yeah. I don't Wolf think Hoffman it, I don't, is not above that character, judging that character. He is not at all. It's <laughs> not, it's not doing it ironically. It's not like, no. oh, we're pretending we're Midwesterners when really we're like this. No, it's all heart. It's a heart and dick, my two favorites. <laughs> <laughs> That's all the boxes. <laughs> do you remember the first yeah. time you saw it? By my math, you would have been about. 15 years old. Oh, I didn't see it when it first came out. Okay. Yeah, I saw it. Um, I saw Magnolia before I saw Boogie Nights. Magnolia was my foray into um, Paul Thomas Anderson. That's uh, quite a, exactly. a dip into the world of Paul Thomas Anderson. That's my favorite. I mean, I know everyone, I mean, I'm, Boogie Nights is up there, but- Have you seen it recently? I have because Zachary Quinto on a previous episode chose it as his comfort movie. It's an odd comfort movie, Magnolia. I don't know. It, I don't know if it goes down easy, but but talking from the acting perspective, like most of PTA's films, oh my God, like the performances in Magnolia, it's like the best Tom Cruise performance he's ever given. It's, yes, it's, it was because of Magnolia that I looked into. I was like, oh, I like this movie. Let's see what some other movies are. Yeah. And out of all Paul Thomas Anderson's movie, I still like Boogie Nights the best. Um, uh, just like in, in solos, my piece, uh, has a lot of tragedy, but it has a lot of comedy in it too. It's another thing I love about Boogie Nights is that it's, there's a lot of humor in it. Um, oh, yeah. and I think anything, I think comedies are best served when they have a little bit of depth. And I think dramas need to have a little bit of levity. Um, and I think Boogie Nights gets that balance. It's got my favorite actor, Paul Thomas, or not Paul Thomas, <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman, another yeah. guy with three names. Um, <laughs> Mark Wahlberg is terrific. I mean, everybody, everybody is so good in that. And like, it just, uh, it's shot beautifully. That first one going through the club, going from the sign down into the club, roller girl's butt twitching, and then it slows down. You tell how many times I've seen this movie when it gets to uh, Mark Wahlberg putting the dish tray in the dishwasher. And it's like, oh, so many scenes, roller girl, like, with like smashing that guy's don't ever disrespect me going back to her high school years like every that movie's fucking dope man love it did, did Lorraine ever uh bring that up on Hustlers there's a bit of the vibe a bit of uh I feel like there's an influence there's that lineage of Scorsese to PTA to Hustlers for sure and... I think I think the whole thing I said before about like not being above the characters and playing right. them like as if it's fun and joke and ironic um I think she really like wanted us to wanted to really be in it yeah. um and i think she approached it with a lot of love instead of like making fun of them um and i think that's i mean yeah lorene definitely did uh and i love lorene i love working with her um and she definitely talked about that and she also talked she talked to me more about like some documentaries of 
like pathological liars because not no, not that not that destiny is a liar but she covers a lot and so uh that was it was interesting i remember what right before we started filming that was when those fire festival documentaries came out oh my god remember yeah, and i was obsessed. like oh my god i was fascinated with that guy and then with the guy who gave the blowjobs for the water <laughs> i mean like not only was it what a beautiful, innocent time, right before the horrible year of 2020. It was like the last fun we all had. It happened, that happened before oh, the pandemic, right? Well. Yeah, you know, and it was crazy. It's like crazy that he would do that, but also crazy that he would like go was... on campus. <laughs> what? I was like, all right, man, good for you, man. <laughs> and like, but like, I mean, just fascinating. And I remember Lorene was really like, we were really talking a lot about like characters like that. Um, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever met uh, PTA? Have you ever auditioned for a Paul Thomas Anderson film? No, I've tried. <laughs> no, no harm in that. Go for it. Go for it. No, like before, I mean, I think before Fresh Off the Boat, there was like, before I was like, you know, I had any type of visibility. Right. Um, when I was still a waitress, there were like a couple I would hear about like certain Paul Thomas Anderson movies and I would like back my issues like oh my god please can I have an audition and they'd be like we're trying but they won't like they're only seeing like a certain number of people or they already offered it to this person I think I went so far as to there was one job where I went so far as I didn't even have a script I just like made it up and I like put myself on tape I made up like an audition and then I was like send this to them and I they never saw it you know because you can tell on your Vimeo click count whether or not somebody has seen it that's so like, but and, and who, I don't think that's Paul Thomas Anderson's fault if you're right. one, no. listening, Paul Thomas, I think it's you know whoever whatever assistant that my agent's assistant emailed it to like whatever it just right. didn't get there but yes I have very much tried and not been able to audition for anything. It's, it's good for the record, PTA, if you're listening to this, uh, she's not holding it against you. It was, in, it was yeah. someone in between. Yes. And yes, she I'm kept not. clicking refresh on that Vimeo and it hurt, but it wasn't you. I, that's real nerdy to admit, but I was checking refresh on that Vimeo. I think I checked it even years later. I was like, oh, maybe nobody <laughs> fucking watch that shit. <laughs> You mentioned the infamous, um, you know, waiting tables, which many an actor have done. Uh, Fresh off the boat comes in what around 2015? Do I have that right? Um, when... I don't know. They all blend together these days. Okay, so. but 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 I guess my my question is, when did when was your last gig outside of acting? Like, when did um, that part of your life end? When you like could just really commit and and make a living solely as an actor? Pretty much right before Fresh Off the Boat. Um, well, right, but like, like the season before Fresh Off the Boat, I did a pilot for Amazon actually that didn't get picked up called Browsers, where I played like a pothead. Um, and that was fun, it didn't get picked up. Uh, so after that, things were sort of okay. But then right before I got that pothead role, I, um, I wasn't a waitress anymore, but for about a year, I did uh, I did like odd babysitting and nannying jobs. Right. And uh, I did that for about a year, and then uh, and then I got browsers, the the thing where I played the stoner, and um, and then after that I got fresh off the boat, and then um, I don't, I, I I haven't had to go back to waitressing since then. But if I had to, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. <laughs> you enjoyed it. It sounds like yeah. No, I, I, you know, it's not necessarily what I 
Bye, baby. Bye. She's going out for a walk. Um, it's not necessarily what I like set out to do, but I had a lot of fun doing it. Like, yeah. It, um, in a restaurant, like the shit, the drink, shift drink at the end of the night with like your fellow servers. It's like you all been through a war zone on days when you're in the weeds. And it's kind of like, I don't know, there's something nice about it that I, I'm glad. I, uh, were you seeing actors or directors or filmmakers? Or were you ever trying to like make a connection? Is that, is that a faux pas to try to like, hey, I'm also an actor. You might want to check this out. I wish I had the guts to do that, but I, I didn't. Only, you, only one time it happened actually. And it was like really, and, and I didn't instigate it. It was actually really sweet. It was Adam Sandler actually. So oh. I waited on Adam Sandler and he like started like making conversation with me a little bit about being an actor. And we had a small connection because when I went to Lee Strasberg Theater Institute, my teacher there, Jeffrey, when I had talked about being Adam Sandler's teacher. No kidding. And so I was like, oh my God, you and me, we both had Jeffrey at Lee Strasberg. And we were like, oh my God. And then he was like, well, I'm doing this movie if you like want to audition for it. And I was like, yeah, like totally. And he was like, well, call this number and you know, we'll set something wow. up. And he gave me a number. And I was like, oh my God, this is maybe this is bullshit or like whatever. But to Adam Sandler's credit, that was his assistant's number. And I told him what Adam said. And he was like, yeah, let me, uh, give me your number and I'm gonna give this casting director and we'll schedule an audition. And they did schedule an audition for like a small part in one of his comedies. And uh, you know, I didn't get the part, but like that oh was, um, I mean, how That's generous and nice yeah. of him. But I didn't, I didn't instigate that. He was the one who was like, and then having the, the Jeffrey connect from Lee Strasberg was, was fun. Amazing. Yeah. He lives up to his, his great reputation. Um, the, yes. I, I know you've talked about, you know, between Crazy Rich Asians and Fresh Off the Boat, if, if anything, like they were both huge, you know, cultural moments in addition to being, you know, projects that resonated in, in many different ways with people that in a way almost Fresh Off the Boat was the more revolutionary one. Uh, at the time like did it, I guess my question is like when you're in it for you it's not about like I would expect when you get that gig it's not like we're we're breaking barriers down we're doing that like you have a gig you have a job <laughs> you, have, you have the biggest job of your career like I mean is that are you do you have that second sight at the time are you also thinking in these cultural terms like yes we are breaking boundaries down and this is going to be amazing or is it like no yeah. this is the best gig I've ever had you know, if it happened now, I think I might have more of awareness. I think, I think then, especially when you're younger, there's just so much noise um, that it's hard to really hear anything. Yeah. And the noise is not only what other people are saying, but it's like your own insecurities about yourself uh, and like your fears of possibilities of the future, you know, what, whatever might be happening in your like personal relationships at the time. There's just a lot of noise that like, I feel like my twenties, I was just hanging on, you know, like into like my early thirties, which is when I got fresh off the boat. Um, so at the time, like there's a lot of relief because, you know, you've been pounding the pavement for so long. You've been like barely scraping by financially. And then you have this opportunity and yes, it's like a big cultural moment and you hear that noise, but then you hear noise from like critics and naysayers and then you hear noise from like your family and then your friends and then like your own worries about like yourself as an artist and it's uh it takes a lot of being in a noisy environment to learn how you yourself find your like internal 
quiet within that yeah. noise. So there was just too much noise at the time for me to know anything that was going on. I was just like a young new, this is my first network show. The only other thing I had done before Fresh Off the Boat was on network was a couple lines of dialogue on Law and Order. You know, even the Amazon pilot had been on Amazon and that was their first year they had done pilots. Uh, I had no experience. Many people at least have a failed pilot that they can draw experience. I had nothing. Right. I didn't even right. have a guest star, you know? Um, so there was a lot of anxiety about that. And I feel very <laughs> lucky that I'm somewhat out, you know, somewhat unscathed. Not totally, but somewhat. <laughs> well, I, I am scathed, gives me character, I like to tell myself. <laughs> well, you, you, you segue into something that I don't necessarily want to like need to like dig into, but you've talked very openly how like, you know, and obviously from this conversation, you're very candid, you're very open, you'll say what you feel and it's very refreshing. And like, obviously the fresh off the boat Twitter thing obviously became a thing, right? And I'm sure, yeah. and you've you talked about it and had regrets about it. But I guess my, my question is lessons learned from something like that. And does it does it color, unfortunately, like looking back at the experience on Fresh Off the Boat in any way? Or can you kind of separate like that shitty moment from what was a, a great run and a pivotal run in your career? Yeah, I think it's, um, like I said before, it's all about context. And yeah. um, I actually think that it makes me more grateful for it, because just like I think in one of my other interviews, uh, like the journalist was like, uh, she was quoting Brian Stevenson who wrote Just Mercy and she was saying like, you are not the worst thing you ever did. Mm. And I was like, yeah, you're also not the best thing you ever did. Right. So I think that moment really became a, I mean, I think the hardest times in your life are the best because you learn about yourself so much from them. And I am, I am richer for that experience. Am I more popular for that experience? Probably not. Okay. Like that's okay though. But like, like in terms of like, <laughs> my soul and knowing who I am and like, yeah. uh, under, and just like growing, I am richer for that experience. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and then you have to, recalibrate and feel like oh well you know what i'm not more popular for that experience but like was popularity your reason for getting into this is that the thing that feeds you it's actually not it is for some people but for me you know i don't get psyched if i you know i'm not on social media anymore but i don't get psyched by more social media follows what do i get dweebed out by singing musical theater songs on a bus like that's what gets me fucking psyched right and so yeah, it's uh, it, 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 there's a way to look at it in which it doesn't seem like the best thing. And there's a way to look at it where it's just like how incredibly clarifying and like uh, going through hard stuff like that. How much richer are you for learning about yourself and like your reactivity and what it's spraying yeah. from and who and, and how it can inform who you become, um, uh, you know, and. I'm having a very measured response to it now. I don't always feel that way, but that's what's fun about being human, right? You you change. Not a robot. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but but that's sort of how I think about it today. Is that uh, is that yeah? It's all part of this big thing called life. By your your references to musical theater throughout, I'm guessing you're more likely to end up 
in a big movie musical at this point than the next Star Wars or Marvel movie. That's what you're, I'm that's, fucking, that's what, yeah. Oh yeah. That's what I'm fucking trying for, man. Like I keep saying like, okay, these scripts are great, but where's my fucking musical? That's what I really want. And I want, but it has to have really good music. Cause you know, is, the, is there a classic a musical that hasn't been done for the big screen that you dream of doing? It hasn't been done for the big screen. Or, or, or remade, obviously they're, West Side Story is being remade. Everyone thinks being remade, so. Oh, well, there was one that I really wanted the audition for that I didn't get. So I don't want to like taint, you know, that one and the, the wonderful actress who got that. Uh, but, uh, oh gosh. You know, honestly, I love a lot of the classics. Like I love Rogers and Einstein musicals. Um, Are you talking to a guy that loves Guys and Dolls? I'm waiting for the next Guys and Dolls version on the big screen. Dude, dude. like Adelaide. I'm here for that. Like you, could totally, you would totally, you would kill Adelaide. Are you kidding me? Yes, I would. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh my God. I want to do Adelaide like nobody's business. Um, she's got <laughs> such great numbers and she has all that stuff. She's, she's comedic, but she has a lot of depth to her. She's, yeah. she's got some fucking dreams, man, you know? Uh, but yeah, anything with, with good music. I, I just, I, yeah, I love good music. Amazing. So that's, that's my dream role. Is, is a great, it's to do great musicals. All right. Well, I, I think judging from the last few years, we're not that far off because from the first part of our conversation, uh, every role in the last five years has been vastly different from the one preceding it, which speaks to your passion and interest in every, in exploring all facets of, of acting. Yeah, but they yourself. don't write that many musicals these days. So well, who knows? Hey. This year alone, you got West Side Story, you got In the Heights, you got Tick, Tick, Boom. It's the movie musicals are doing good. You're gonna get That's yours. like four. I mean, there are more of those than <laughs> than rom coms in big theaters. I'm trying to be positive for you, Constance. Thank you. Oh no, you know what? I I need to take some of that. Um, but <laughs> you know what? I've got I've got some time. I got to find find my musical. But that's that's my great dream. I love musical. Oh, and I love Shakespeare too. So, would love to do Shakespeare. There you go, Ken yeah. Brana. You know where to find Constance Wu. Let's do something. Um, yeah, I've, I've geeked out on on. Back when I was like 16, I went to see his four and a half hour Hamlet in the in the theater. So like I'm oh, with wow. you. Yeah, uh, that's another conversation. We'll do Shakespeare next. I played time. Ophelia. Uh, what's that? I played Ophelia. Did you back at back in uh, in school? In my conservatory, yeah, we did a production of Hamlet. I played Ophelia. Sucked. <laughs> you sucked, or it sucked. That experience wasn't. Oh, the let's not end on that down note. Let's think positive again. Big yeah. movie musical coming constant Wu's way. Yes. Um, this has been a joy, honestly. I love geeking out with like an actor who just loves the business, or not the business, the art, loves talking acting, and clearly yeah, you do. Um, you've been killing it, and I know you're gonna continue to kill it. Everybody should check out Solos on Amazon Prime, another amazing performance, and um, stay well, and congratulations on the new Yeah, game. you stay well too, thank you very much. Have a great day. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>